Quick disclaimer before we get going here on the Chapter 21 edition of Pushing the A. This podcast is neither sanctioned nor approved by Maureen Menard, nor is it sponsored by anyone, as you will notice by the lack of sponsorships in the past few episodes. Thank you for fighting the system. I remember when the Union was whole. If only the South had been humble. Should have waited to make that joke. You know, we're gonna we're gonna wait we're gonna try again. A little more, a little more, hold on. I promise you, the long game. Almost there. If only the South had been humble. First try. Uh, quick note, if you're here, and this is chapter 21 directly after chapter 18, don't worry, you have not made a wrong turn. I am to blame. The podcast app screwed up, or maybe it's the podcast app is to blame. The podcast app screwed up and didn't include the end part of uh, chapter 18 in the podcast, which means it ends very abruptly and without, in parentheses, it's a departure. So this is chapter 21. This is what we've been building up to. This is the Civil War in a little less than 30 minutes, hopefully, if we can make it there. If not, we'll see. We're going to go over 1861 to 1865-ish. We're going to start with one president. We're going to end with another president, as we always do. Let's get to it. Lincoln thinks this is going to be a 90-day war. Uh, His slogan at the beginning is, On to Richmond. He drills 30,000 men near Washington. None of them are really ready, but the public wants to see some action. So Abe tells his army, go to Bull Run, which is the creek-ish area. It's really Manassas is what it is. Uh, It's 30 miles south of Washington. People bring their lunches. They enjoy a nice picnic. Watch people stab each other with their bayonets. I don't think they had bayonets. Um, and the logic is, if you win here, you go to Richmond. This war ends within the next month. Stonewall Jackson, on July twenty first, eighteen sixty one, holds his ground at Bull Run. Confederate reinforcements come. The Union flees, and they go snack on the lunches that the Union left behind. Southern confidence goes way up, like, we're going to secede, no problem whatsoever. Suddenly, a bunch of people desert. Uh, This isn't over, or this is over, rather, game, set, match. And the North says, okay, wasn't hoping for this to go this way, but this could take a minute. We're going to still fight this. In 1861, General George McClellan is named the commander of the Union Army in D.C., the Army of the Potomac. He's a great organizer doesn't take risks. Uh, He protects his men to a fault. So Abraham Lincoln is waiting and waiting and waiting for him to go, and he tells him to advance, and finally he does, so he goes over water to Richmond. 
uh, which is on a peninsula, therefore it's called a peninsula campaign. He gets Yorktown, then Lincoln sends the reinforcements of the army elsewhere to protect D.C. Sort of a stalemate for a moment, and then Lee attacks. Lee, Robert E. Lee, is the general of the Confederate army. I'm assuming you knew that. I'm sorry if I didn't introduce that. Robert E. Lee, though. Uh, important name to know, I would say, if you're going to take this test. Lee attacks him. Um, suddenly, he forces the Union back to sea in the Seven Days Battles. If the Union had won there, they would have gone to Richmond. Slavery would not have ended, but the Confederacy would have been allowed back in the Union. So now there's a new plan. They're going to have to go to the Deep South... And that means they're going to have to go to Total War, which means they're not going to be able to come back with slavery, because the new plan is a blockade, keeping the South from participating economically in any way. They're going to liberate slaves to undermine the economy, seize the Mississippi River to cut the Confederacy roughly in half, and then take troops through the Carolinas and Georgia, and eventually convene on Richmond. So it's Total War is the new plan. At sea, uh, they start with a blockade. So it's pretty crummy at first. It's pretty runnable, as the kids would say in the 1860s. It gets better and better sort of with the day, just by a little by a little. So they concentrated on ports and inlets. The British have do have a fundamental problem with it, but they don't tell their shippers to ignore it because they like the precedent of such a such an overbearing blockade, per se. Um, there's a very profitable industry in breaking the blockade, in getting your boat through the blockade, because prices are going up, and if you can get goods through, then you're going to get a really good uh, deal for your things that, you're just, that you just smuggled out of the Confederacy. The Union is able to cut it off. Eventually, they seize British boats that blockade run. The British would be mad, but again, they like the precedent of this blockade. The Confederates decide to reconstruct the Merrimack, which is now the Virginia. It's an ironclad kind of, uh, and it's really easy, it really easily destroys the Union's wooden ships. The Union then is like, okay, I see you and raise you because we know how to use steel. And they build the Monitor, which fights the Merrimack, and eventually the Confederates destroy the Merrimack to keep it away from the Union because they don't think that it would hold up for as long and they don't want the Union to have it. Let's talk Antietam. Uh, Lee begins moving north, and he encounters James Pope, the new leader of the Union Army after McClellan is gone, uh, and it's the Second Battle of Bull Run. Lee attacks, he wins, and the South moves up to Maryland. Uh, and if they can keep this going, then Europe will probably ignore its citizens and come. They do need to get Maryland on their side, and Maryland is pretty apathetic. Uh, so it all converges on Antietam Creek. At the same time, abolitionists are in Lincoln's back. Lincoln wants to do something to appease them, but he needs to wait for a win to seem less desperate. So McClellan gets charged again. A soldier really luckily stumbles upon the Confederacy's war plans. They stop Lee in a draw. A lot of people die, and the South and the Confederates go home. Um, McClellan loses his position again for the last time, I think, for not pursuing Lee again. If the South had won, it would have been a huge thing for Jefferson Davis because that means the South 
it's the South showing that, hey, we can win, we can go north. The British and the French, the British and the French would have come in um, to sort of do some sort of mediation. The North would have protested and fought back, which means that the British and the French are on Richmond's side. Instead, the North gets to win, and Lincoln decrees the Emancipation Proclamation on September the 23rd, 1862, going into effect on the 1st of 1863, January, comma, the, comma, January, the, which frees all states below, all slaves in states below the border states, essentially saying, if we come through your state in the Civil War on the attack, then we're going to free the slaves, and it's this idea of, okay, so you're slaving slaves are property, then we are going to go through your states, we will take the property of whatever houses we come upon, and then we will turn the property into humans because they are humans. Which is a really nice thing. However, above the Confederate free border, you are not freed if you are a slave. That's about 800,000 people. Um, the proclamation itself is morally important. It's historically important. It's kind of boring in its writing, and moreover... Lincoln does nothing for the slaves he controls and does everything for the slaves he does not control. But this does inspire some slaves to free to the Union. About one in seven come to the North. And the North is sort of left with this moral problem. They have the moral high ground, but they're not using it to its full extent to free the slaves in the North because they know that if they do, then border states are going to flee to the South. The 13th Amendment eventually ends slavery... Um, with the proclamation, Lincoln makes the war about slavery and says, this is a fight to the end. This is not going to be, you can come in with your slaves and we'll go back to the status quo. This is, this is a fight for slavery. And if we win, there's not going to be slavery in this country anymore. Abolitionists love it. Uh, others are less stoked. Uh, and some people say that he might've gone too far and other people say he might've not gone far enough. Surprisingly, it's hard to please people in politics. Some people in the Union's army had volunteered only for the Union and not for ending slavery, and so they desert. Uh, there's a wave midterm election of people that disapprove of Lincoln, and the South is accusing them of stirring up the passions of the Hellfires or whatever. European rulers don't see much significance in this Emancipation Proclamation, though. European rulers are like... We're going to wait until someone actually takes a commanding lead in this war. The working classes of Europe, however, are quite stoked. It's along the lines of, holy cow, this guy just did this. This is incredible. I suppose that's what we say today. That wasn't very specific. I'm sorry. It's late. It's been a while. African Americans in the South did not enlist at the very beginning of the war. Rather, free African Americans in the North uh, did not enlist at the beginning of the war. As men went down, they are allowed in. They made up... African American soldiers made up about 10% of the Union's army, 180,000 people. Frederick Douglass convinces two Massachusetts regiments to join on in. It's... This interesting... It's an interesting dynamic. So, in the North, you do have these... Um, Free black men that earn 22 medals of honor, 38,000 black men die. The South doesn't even recognize black soldiers as war prisoners. They see them as runaway slaves until 1864, 
uh, and this is shown in Fort Pillow where the black surrender, a black regiment surrenders under uh, war conditions, um, but because the South does not see them as war, as, as soldiers, they see them as runaways, they then kill them after their surrender at Fort Pillow. The Confederates don't allow black men into their army until about one month away from the end, way too late. Other slaves do end up doing work for the Confederacy, so tens of thousands of them are forced into labor battalions or supplying or farms. They did do what they could to stop the Confederacy in their way. They lowered their productivity as the North drew closer and closer. They, If the North was coming through their area, as they drew closer and closer, they became more assertive. About 500,000 do flee in the South, even post-Emancipation Proclamation, even though they weren't kind of comp legally. It was muddy. Post-Antietam, back to the war part. I guess this is all the war part. Back to the battles part. Post-Antietam, McClellan is replaced by Burnside, um, who leads a stupid attack on the Confederate stronghold at Fredericksburg, and it's basically a suicide mission. Uh, It's very stupid. Joseph Hooker, who's very aggressive, gets the command at Chancellorville in May 1863. Lee divides his army and sends Stonewall Jackson to attack. Hooker gets hit by a cannonball. Stonewall Jackson dies in friendly fire. So then comes George G. Meade for the Union, which is like the fifth frickin' general for the Union, in case you didn't feel like you had enough names to remember. Um, Lee decides that he's going to take Meade on in Pennsylvania, and if they can win, then the North will get more and more antsy about this war, because mainly this war has been happening sort of south and west, and if the war gets really close to, you know, Gettysburg is the southern tip of Pennsylvania, but if you're getting into middle Pennsylvania towards New Jersey, New York, that's close to really the North-North, that is the North, and so that is, that's really an alarm call, that's a warning shot to northerners who become very concerned if they win this battle and suddenly there are a lot of calls for peace, suddenly the war morale declines, suddenly the British and the French step in, suddenly everything's coming up to southerners. So Meade accidentally takes a stand atop this low ridge next to Gettysburg. 92,000 men for the Union versus 76,000 for the Confederacy fight each other between July 1st and 3rd on 1860, in 1863. Pickett leads a charge for the Confederates. It doesn't work. They lose. That is the end of their northern march. It's their northern high point, and that is their last chance to win. So they had this plan initially with Gettysburg, which is, we're going to send a peace delegation to Norfolk, and then we're going to converge with the returning victorious forces from Gettysburg that have just won, but they lose. And then, instead of converging with the forces from Gettysburg and overtaking a Union stronghold at Norfolk, they are stopped at the gate by Abraham Lincoln, uh, the peace forces are, at least, this is the end of the Southern cause. This is, the Southern cause can no longer be successful after Gettysburg. Lincoln gives, you guessed it, the Gettysburg Address at the dedication of the cemetery in Gettysburg. So let's, let's look west for a moment. Uh, Ulysses Grant. That's right, we finally got to Ulysses Grant. It only took about six collective hours of pushing the A, but we finally got there. Ulysses Grant was a crappy, short, stubby, alcoholic West Point Academy member, and then something, something changes a flip, uh, he, uh, like he switches a flip, 
flips, something changes for him in the Civil War, um, and he is spectacular in Fort Henry and Fort Donston in Tennessee in February 1862, and when he wins, he says, they ask him, okay, what are your terms, and he says, my terms are you surrender or we kill all of you, which is not that bad. Um, he then goes try, he then tries to go east, um, and get to the central junction of the Confederate Railroad at Corinthians, it's definitely not Corinthians, Corinthians is not what it is, let's, let's find out what it is, do 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 believe it or not, I don't have American history memorized, I'm, I am mortal, aren't we all? Corinth, Mississippi. Da, 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 da. Yes, it is Corinth, Mississippi. Um, and it's the Battle of Shiloh. Um, it doesn't work for him. They they lose. But the winning Kentucky is more than enough in that or the one in Tennessee is more than enough in that it holds Kentucky pretty firmly to the Union, and it opens the gate to entering Georgia and Tennessee, and Georgia and Tennessee are the gate to Dixie. Um, the Confederates do hold on at Shiloh, which means that the West is not going to be this one-and-done thing where Ulysses Grant is going to run the field, and then that's going to be that. Um, this is in 1862, but Lincoln sees something in him, and in spring of 1862... Uh, the Union gets New Orleans uh, through a boat attack from Farragut, and suddenly the Union can go both directions on the Mississippi River. They have the keys to the back door to the Confederacy. Uh, quick correction, it's Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson. Blame my crappy handwriting. Moving back west, um, the South has one juncture where they take their cattle and they take their provisions from Louisiana and Texas to the rest of the South, and that is in Vicksburg, Mississippi, at Port Hudson, Louisiana as well. This is the place where the South has to hold on. If the South doesn't hold on there, then they're economically crippled. So Grant attacks Vicksburg, uh, and he gets to surrender on July 4th, 1863. Hudson falls within five days, and now the Confederates no longer can even touch the Mississippi River. This is one day after Gettysburg, which is a huge blow, because it looks like the South has sort of been inching and inching and inching, and suddenly, bang, 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 three big wins for the North, and they are able to go on a huge offensive. Um, the old Northwest is happy to have the Mississippi River back, as they would be, because it's very useful to them. The British decides to stop even remotely helping the Confederacy, as well as the French, um, and the Laird Rams is when the Laird Rams happen, uh, and all the naval vessels and all that stuff, all the support that was sort of kind of sort of happening covertly from these European states ends for the Confederacy, because it looks pretty clear to them who's going to win. So from there, Grant goes to Chattanooga, which is in eastern Tennessee, and he lays siege to the city. He wins. Uh, he liberates the cities. And now it's time to go invade Georgia. So William Sherman... Uh, takes Atlanta in September 1864. He burns it to the ground in November. Goes on to Savannah, destroys that, and then he burns other buildings, destroys the railroads, and they just keep on marching and marching and marching. Um, 
for the Confederates, supplies are running low, morale is running low, desertions are on the rise. This is Sherman's march, uh, and they go... Maybe I misstated this a little. They're marching to Savannah, and on the way they're burning that stuff down. Um, so that's where all the supplies and morale is happening. It's total war. They probably went a little overboard, especially in South Carolina, because they provoked the whole thing. Ultimately, it probably saved lives. Today, in inconvenient timing, let's talk about the election of 1864. The North is infighting. they are despite being pretty close to winning this war. Um, some Republicans think that Lincoln is not doing enough, that Lincoln is not being abolitionist enough. Um, the Treasury of the Secretary, Salmon Chase, Salmon Chase, is a huge critic of him. The Congressional Committee on the Conduct of War for all of Lincoln's egregious violations of the Constitution is created. The power concerns of the Northern Democrats. Um, so they're really concerned about how much power Lincoln has split them into two. So the war Democrats stay with Lincoln. They say, you know what, this is fine. We'll deal with this. The peace Democrats say, no, we're not going to support Lincoln. Um, and they're referred to as copperheads. This is mainly Ohio and Illinois and Indiana. They're anti-Lincoln. They're anti-draft, anti-emancipation. Uh, they run, or Clement Vallon Diggum uh, is... A prominent member of this party, he calls to end the war. Lincoln says, if you like the South so much, why don't you go there? He then goes to Canada, runs for the Ohio governorship, and loses from Canada. Lincoln needs this Republican support, though, to stop the Copperheads, because the Copperheads are still very prominent. So he joins up with the War Democrats and creates the Union Party, runs with Andrew Johnson, who is a Southern Democrat, made to soap the party, owns some slaves... Not a person anyone would ever think would be president. Minor mistake. Something to think about if you're ever going to choose a vice president. The Democrats, uh, the, the Copperheads, nominate McClellan, running on the platform of this war as a failure. Um, and then a string of northern victories and a bunch of soldiers coming home to vote give Lincoln just enough of a margin to win. Uh, the Confederates... We're really hoping that the Democrats are going to pull this out, because maybe if the Democrats pull it out, then the war ends, and then they get to be their own country. No, not going to happen. There goes any hope for the Confederates, and desertions continue to go up. So, Grant takes over from Meade, because he will tell Lincoln he will charge Lee, and then his main strategy is to go at both strong parts of the Confederate army at once, so that they can't assist each other because the Union's numbers are big enough to do that. Um, eventually, he's going to start moving towards Richmond through battles in Virginia in May and June in in May and June of 2004, where about 2004, folks, the, war, the, the Civil War is in 2004. In 1864, don't know why this looks like Dash 04, 50,000 casualties for that. Um... He also has a suicide mission on Cold Harbor where he sends 7,000 to die. So that's not the whole story. Lee, because he's running so low in numbers, has basically turned this into a trench war. He's basically held his men, and Grant is basically trading two men for one. However, the ratio of men lost to men had 
Lee's losing about one man per every five man he has. Grant's losing about one for every ten man he has. And these battles are no longer in the open, so you have to to attack the opposing trench, you need to send over you just need to send over more men. And this takes a long, long, long time to do it. It takes a long, long time to eventually penetrate the trenches. Um like February long. Um in that February of eighteen sixty five the Confederates come up to Washington and say, Hey, do you want uh to sign a peace treaty? And Abe Lincoln says, sure, you're going to rejoin the Union, and you're not going to have slavery. And the Confederates say, that's not what our peace treaty says. And Abe Lincoln says, that's not what the scoreboard says. We're winning, you're coming back. And they say, okay, we're going to fight this to the end. So it goes on all the way to the end until the North captures Richmond, corners Lee at Pop, uh, Appomattox Courthouse on the 9th of... I think it's April. 97% sure it's April. Please be April. It's gotta be April. Um. Da 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 da. Yes, okay, it is April. Uh, on April 9th, Lee and Grant meet, and they basically come to these terms. The Confederates are going to rejoin the Union. They have to keep their horses, but the war's gonna end. There's not gonna be slavery anymore. So now the big question, how are you going to rejoin such a polarized part of the country to another polarized part of the country? Abe Lincoln sits down in Jefferson Davis's office, has his moment. Um, the book gives some stories about how he's surrounded by slaves, or former slaves that thank him. Verity, questionable. April 14th, 1865. Abraham Lincoln, after a stressful five-ish year war, goes to see a play at the Ford's Theater in downtown Washington, or what is now downtown Washington. We don't hear much about the play, because Lincoln was shot in the head by John Wilkes Booth at the play. We shot Lincoln before winter break. Congratulations, everyone. Um, he dies pretty quickly after as a martyr, and a hero, and all the problems and the constitutional qualms with him are completely forgotten. Andrew Johnson, the man no one even thought about once, is now the president. The South is initially stoked. It's like, okay, we get a little revenge, a little closure. And then they realize, wait a minute, whoever is next is not going to be nearly as moderate and nearly as kind to us as Lincoln would be, because Lincoln is a moderate Johnson takes over. He's impeached for not being harsh enough. There's a question as to if Abe would have been impeached. The answer is probably not. He had the compromising skills and the ability to reach across party lines in a way that Johnson fundamentally just didn't. And that's what probably would have kept him in office. So let's look at the aftermath of this thing. 600,000 dead. 1 million casualties. About 2% of the U.S. population at the time, more people than we lost in World War II, and about the equivalent of 6 million Americans today. An entire generation of young men was lost, an entire generation of fathers was lost, therefore an entire generation of babies was lost. Uh, about $5 billion, not including pensions and fees and et cetera, are lost. However, we also lose these ideas of nullification and secession. What Congress passes down, you gotta listen to now. This war pushed democracy to its edge. It pushed it to its brink. 
and democracy holds on by a tiny microscopic thread, but it holds on. The British eventually follow suit with their Reform Bill of 1867 uh, and turn into a true democratic state, which is an interesting thing. I think this is... The Civil War sort of shows that democracy can work even when it's put into these places, and I think England says that, sees that and says, okay, all right, sure, let's give it a shot. Slavery is gone in the United States. African Americans get opportunity for approximately 10 minutes until they are promptly screwed by the system. Um, the idea of Western slavery, the United States was the last major Western power to have slavery. The idea of slavery in Western countries dies with the Civil War. Um, Latin America, questions around there, that becomes a new focus, but those go away in time. And when the United States was created in 1776, and when we drew up the Constitution in the 1790s, you're looking at this fundamental thing where slavery is looming over the country like a parasite, and the country is never going to be able to truly realize its potential until it figures out one way or another how to deal with this problem of slavery. And so when it finally does, when it finally no longer has to worry about this, when the, when the South and the North are no longer polarized, or even if they are polarized, they can't do anything about it, now the country is working as a whole. Now the country is not infighting as much as it was, and it can focus on its next phase, which is world domination. So, to summarize the Civil War in like 30 seconds, Bull Run happens, McClellan takes over, then he doesn't take over. Seven days, battles happen, McClellan loses his job, blockade's improving. Um, um, um. Uh, Second Battle of Bull Run in Gettysburg happened, those fail. Emancipation Proclamation and, and Antietam also are all happening. Ah, uh, um. I got my cards. Meade takes over, this is Gettysburg. Then Grant takes over. They cut off the Mississippi River. They cut off the South. They destroy the South. They get to North Carolina and South Carolina and Georgia and etc. Um, it becomes a trench war. Grant does it well enough. Uh, South tries to surrender peacefully. They don't. Then they do because they lost and were cornered. Lincoln dies April 14th, like five days after the war ends, as a martyr. We lose an entire generation of men. And that is period five. Oof. If you're wondering why I'm not speaking at school tomorrow, you have your answer. Tomorrow night, I will do your important, most important moments from all of these chapters, this chapter jumped, this, this period jumped around a lot more than period four did, if I think about it, because period four, to be fair, was a very uneventful period, I guess you had the War of 1812, but it was pretty much a chronological order, and this, these chapters are sort of jumping 1850 to 1840, and the only place where it feels truly chronological is sort of 2020, 19 through 21, but 16 through 18 are very... Jump around context to you. Alright. If you've been listening the whole time, if you've listened to every single Pushing the A, which I really hope you aren't, because it's about two hours worth of content. It's more for me than it is for you. Um, thank you for listening, although 
unless you're like listening to this while you do other things, I feel as if you might have better things to be doing to study for this. But thank you for listening to my voice for whether if it was for 10 seconds or 30 seconds or 20 minutes or 5 trillion hours. This is, I believe, where I leave you. It's departure here. I'm pushing the A. Pushing the A is brought to you by NPR Mug. NPR Mug. North Pones, rest of South. Uniball, four plus bonus pen pack. This magnet that says Ape Side. For when you want to be on the side of the orangutans, but you don't know which kind. This has been Pushing the A.